0: The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This hour, I'm speaking with Wynne Whitman, who's a lawyer. Uh, she is the author of a new book called Wants, Wishes, and Wills which is a medical and legal guide to protecting yourself and your family in sickness and health. Uh, Wynn is also an attorney at the uh, Morristown, New Jersey firm of Skank, Price, Smith & King. Welcome to the show, Thank you. Let's just start overall uh, with with the problem here. Uh, Are people negligent in this whole area of writing down their medical wishes and uh, writing out wills, and, and what is the impact of that?
3: Um, yes, people are negligent. Only um, 30% of Americans, statistics show, have wills and health care documents and powers of attorney. And what we find or I find in my practice is that there are significant problems when people haven't thought of these issues ahead of time. They may die unexpectedly without a will causing their family to scramble or they end up in the hospital in a um, very sick condition. And they have us running to meet them in the emergency room to have them sign their living wills. And trust me, no one wants to see me hanging around the hospital emergency room.
2: C- can you do it at that point as a will the kind of thing you can do, kind of on the deathbed as a last-minute possible thing?
3: Only if you're competent. Um, you know, if you're in a coma or other kind of condition, or you've um, lost your capacities maybe because of illness or injury, then no, the answer is you can't do it. But if you're um, about to undergo a serious operation, that is the kind of thing that we can run in and uh, help you take care of. It just upsets me in that you've maybe missed the opportunities for a lot of great tax planning, which can help to save your family a lot of dollars. But also, you know, there's a lot of stress involved, and again, the last person they want to see at their hospital bed is me.
2: And in many cases, these are decisions which take some time to think about and uh, can't be done at snap moment. Who the the guardian of your kids is going to be and things like that, right? I
3: wholeheartedly agree. There's a lot of thought involved in that. And for some people, there's probably an obvious answer as to who the guardian will be. But for others, they really want to consider who's the best person to raise my children as I might have done if I were here.
2: So what what is the actual result? You have 70% of Americans not writing wills. What is actually happening today to those 70% that are intestate? What's kind of happening to their states and what kind of burden is this putting on the uh, survivors
3: um, for one the state directs where your assets will go we outline in our book wants wishes and wills if you live in New Jersey for example and you have children from a prior relationship the kids are going to get half and maybe your spouse will get the other half um, if you live in Kentucky where my co-author is an oncologist and you own real property which is you know farmland or, or property where your house is located your spouse is only going to take that property if you have no children, no siblings, no nieces or nephews. And Chances are maybe you want your spouse to have that property. Maybe you don't. But if you die intestate, the government decides where your assets go. You don't.
2: And this is often a person, the judge who's making these decisions, you've never met, who's never met you, who doesn't really have any idea what you want.
3: doesn't know anything about it. I, I know in New Jersey, for example, let's say you die with minor children and you haven't set up a trust for their benefit or some other kind of... Um, or other direction as to where the funds would go for your little kids, the court manages the money. And, you know, I think you're going to get a much better return with a professional trustee or even your best friend or your neighbor than what the court can do because they're really um, forced to invest in super conservative assets.
1: Yeah,
2: and the money's not going to grow very much. All right, well, let's start right in. Uh, at the beginning of the book, and again, this is uh, Wynne Wyn Whitman, uh, who is the author, co-author of Wants, Wishes, and Wills, a Medical and Legal Guide to Protecting Yourself and Your Family in Sickness and Health. Uh, you, you start with creating your own personal health care system. Just give us a brief idea of, of what that means and, and how one should go about doing it.
3: What we suggest is that um, every individual make a list of every provider they have. And we're talking every health care provider, from your um, physical therapist who might help you with your carpal tunnel, to your cardiologist, to your internist to maybe even the folks you see for um, some cosmetology purposes. And we suggest that you make a list not only of each of those individuals, but their contact information, the reason that you're seeing these uh, providers, um, what hospitals they're affiliated, what their specialty is, and then share that information with all of your other providers. You know, there are plenty of circumstances where you might not be able to share that information because you're incapacitated and you want everyone to know, um, who you're dealing with on a regular
2: basis. So if this isn't done, you're saying that you may have some kind of a medical uh, situation and your loved ones, other people don't know who to talk to about it or who's already dealt with you on Right, and,
3: and may not be able to get the records that you have and find out what your history is with a certain provider. Alternatively, if you're not careful and you don't speak with your providers and find out, for example, what hospitals they're affiliated with, You might go in for surgery at Hospital A, but your regular doctor can only visit Hospital B, so you're stuck back with a new internist, which seems kind of like reinventing the wheel for everyone involved.
2: So you want to go back to the hospital where you started in the first place, if you possibly can. If
3: you can. that's The only way that you're going to know who can visit which hospitals is if you um, talk to your providers about that, find out where they're able to visit, and communicate again to them who your other providers are and get suggestions as to which hospitals they all can visit.
2: Now you talk about your health care records as well the new HIPAA law makes it more difficult for people to uh, get access to your health records if they don't have your permission is that a problem these days
3: it's a huge problem that's one reason having a health care proxy or advanced directive um, pointing your health care representative is so important so that if you can't act you can ask someone else to get your health care records for you but that's why I think it's important to again create um, a list of your health care providers but also to kind of keep a running record of The medications you're taking, what your allergies are, the tests you've received, where you've had those tests, um, and the results, if you know them, and kind of create a permanent record that you keep with you when you visit your providers, or alternatively, your family might know where it is located if something happens to you.
2: Um, So, uh, some people who may not be familiar exactly what a healthcare power of attorney is, and and uh, Actually do you have a copy of it in the book that they could do or, or how does yeah. one We don't uh, do
3: that F- because F- every state one. is different with different requirements. And mm-hmm. we break the document down into two. One is the healthcare proxy where you're saying, I'd like Jordan to be my healthcare representative and to make my medical decisions if I can't, but also to have access to my health care records to consult with my physician. So you're really naming one particular person and you should always name a backup too to um, stand in as your healthcare rep. Then so we have as a separate document a living will, which I know a lot of people have heard of as a result of the Terry Schiavo incident in Florida, and that's a document where it really outlines your wants and wishes at the end of life. For example, most people say that if I'm in a terminal condition, I don't want cardi- cardiopulmonary resuscitation or I prefer to uh, pass on any artificially artificial feeding and fluids. You know, and you can really outline exactly what it is that you want. And we encourage people to be specific and to talk to both their lawyer and their doctor about what their uh, particular condition is. It gives them an opportunity to create a document that's tailored to their individual circumstances.
2: Now, you're talking here about health and medical wants. What are some of the things that people should be signing off on what their wants might be?
3: I think they really have to outline what they consider to be quality of life. We've um, done done some research, and let's say um, for individuals who have that horrible ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, they may want to be on a ventilator because it will extend their life, but they might say no thank you to a tracheotomy. Or you have the elderly woman who has advanced osteoporosis, and cardiopulmonary resuscitation would just result in a lot of broken bones. So she may say, I don't want that, but I'll take chemical resuscitation if that's an option. You know, it's not just and shouldn't just be a canned form that you take off the Internet or pick up at the local stationery shop. You know, you really have the ability to create a document that reflects exactly what it is that you want. And, hey, we have plenty of people who have documents who say, keep me alive no matter what. And that's a valid um, option as well.
2: And then when you have this document, should you keep this in a safe, or is it on file with the doctor, or kind of where do you keep this document? That's such
3: a great question. In our office, we have people execute four originals of these documents. We always keep one here because, sadly, and it's happened to our clients, houses burn down and the documents are lost. Mm -hmm. We always suggest that you tell your primary care doctor that you have it and let them make a copy and keep it as part of your records. When you're admitted to the hospital, whether it's for an overnight visit or even it's outpatient procedure, Bring a copy, let them make a photocopy, but always leave a copy in the house and tell your family exactly where it's located. I have my own in a fire box with the key in it, not really to safeguard it from theft, but just in case there's a fire. If you keep it in a safe deposit box or in a safe that people don't have the um, combination for and something happens to you, we'll use the safe deposit box as an example, something happens to you on a Friday night, they're not going to be able to get in until Monday morning if they even then have access to the safe deposit box. So always make sure that your loved ones know where the documents are and keep it in an accessible location.
2: Okay. And a a copy legally counts? It doesn't have to be the original? It goes giving somebody power to make decisions?
3: Um, No, they'll often want to see the original, but they can usually take a copy and keep the copy as part of their records once they're satisfied that it was an original that they saw at first. So always great to kind of hang on to the originals.
2: And when you do that, does it have to be notarized uh, or witnessed at the beginning as well?
3: Again, every state is different, but almost all require notarization and a multitude of witnesses. New Jersey, for example, requires two.
2: I see. Okay. All right, so now we've got our um, medical wants and wishes. Uh, You have a whole chapter, Chapter 2 of this book, on uh, the various things you should watch out for with providers and facilities and and programs, uh, including getting second opinions. Why don't you talk about that a little bit?
3: I think that no matter what you're having done, medical or otherwise, you should always get a second opinion. No doctor is infallible. They're just like all the rest of us. And especially when the procedure that's suggested is um, very severe um, or or very serious, it's always best to find out what what other options there are. As we note in the book, for example, a cardiac problem could be uh, treated by a cardiologist with medication or perhaps with a cardiac surgeon through surgery. there are other kinds of prostate cancer which can be treated through surgery or through radiology. And every circumstance is going to be unique, so it's always best to figure out which of these options is available for um, for you.
2: You talk about the different physician hats. What do you mean by that?
3: that there are, just because someone's wearing a white coat and has a stethoscope around their neck doesn't mean that they practice all kinds of medicine. You have a lot of... Um, Specialties and even subspecialties, people who really address only one particular part of one particular illness. Um, For example, oncology, you have a medical oncologist who just deals with um, treating your cancer usually through drug regimens as opposed to a radiation oncologist who treats your cancer with radiation therapy. Um, Now, there are certain oncologists, for example, who only specialize in breast cancer or lung cancer. So it's really best to find the physician who addresses what your particular issue is. Now we also talked about the fact that there are some doctors who are research doctors. They're very unlikely to see um, patients on a regular basis, but they could be an available resource to your regular doctor to provide some important information um, about your disease. You also have, if you've been to the hospital lately, you'll know that there are residents running around who are really um, medical school graduates um, but aren't fully trained in a particular specialty.
2: And then you talk about pharmacies a little bit. We have a lot of minutes to go. What what are some of the things you should watch out for with pharmacies?
3: Well, I think one thing is um, I know you're always encouraged to go back to the same pharmacy. They're looking to be your sole provider, but that's also great for you. They keep a record of your medications, so if they know all the drugs you're taking, they can easily spot any interactions, which is beneficial if you're getting one prescription filled at the pharmacy on the corner versus another pharmacy close to work, no one's going to know all the drugs you're taking.
2: Um, Okay, we have to go to a break. Uh, This is uh, Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Wynne Whitman, uh, the author of Wants, Wishes, and Wills, and we'll be back after this.
0: keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business
1: you hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line but what about your bottom line how come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the Work walker. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and co-workers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work wonk heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can we launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers.
0: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. You've been
1: listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman on The Money Answer Show. and My guest this hour is Wynne Whitman, uh, who's an author and also a lawyer uh, with the firm of Skank, Price, Smith & King in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, the name of her new book is called Wants, Wishes & Wills. A medical and legal guide to protecting yourself and your family in sickness and in health. Welcome back to the show, Wynn. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about how you can communicate better with your providers, with the doctors and so on. What are some of the problems with communication and how should people do it better?
3: I think one of the problems is, you know, we're often rushed when we're visiting our um, provider. You know, we have, what, seven minutes or whatever the average is. And we need to make effective use of that time. So I think it's really beneficial to come each appointment prepared, bring a list of questions, Um, bring note paper to take notes so you can come next time or make a phone call with follow-up questions. If you, for example, have trouble hearing or you find that you get very nervous, ask that a friend or family member sit in with you who can prompt you on asking the questions or, um, again, if you're hard of hearing, can write the answers down and explain them to you later.
2: And so there specific things you're talking about, like what pills you're being given and what what allergies you have. What are some of the things you should be trying to communicate with your doctor? You
3: should also tell your doctor everything. You know, even if you feel like it's embarrassing, there's no reason not to tell him or her. Tell them every pill that you're taking, even if it's something that you're grabbing over the counter, you know, or something from the local health food store that's supposed to be the next great weight loss cure. They need to know that you're taking these things. If you have any allergies or find yourself to be intolerant of any particular medication, let them know. As we talked about before, let them know the other providers that you're seeing
4: and um,
3: any treatments or surgeries you might have have had. And that includes any kind of cosmetic surgery, as I mentioned earlier. It's important that everyone know everything. It's also important to be honest about your um, health history. I think there are all of us who may have... um, You know, we have embarrassing things in our past and maybe we don't necessarily want to share it. But your, again, doctor really needs to know, you know, he or she is not going to judge you because maybe you did a little um, experimentation in college with some illegal substances. Or maybe if you've been smoking three packs a day since you were 10, these are not things that you should hide from your physician.
2: you find a lot of people do hide these things? They're too embarrassed and therefore they don't tell physicians important information?
3: I I think everyone does. And even on the legal side, we have clients who come in who are a little bit embarrassed to tell you about certain things that your kids have done. You know, it's really important. Problems can't be resolved unless problems are identified. And problems can't be identified if you're not sharing everything.
0: Now, you
2: have a section in the book on uh, your protected health information about uh, medical history and family history and social history. Tell us a little bit about this, particularly in light of these new HIPAA laws and and what uh, is in these histories, what isn't, what can be released, what cannot be, and so on.
3: Your physician can't release anything unless you sign the HIPAA release form, and that includes to someone maybe you've asked to be your health care representative. If they're not provided the provided the appropriate legal form, they're not going to release that information even if it's to a family member. Um, which means, kind of as what I ju- was just saying, that's why it's so important to share everything with your provider, especially because you know that it's going to be protected. Anything that you've done in your past or any kind of um, past illnesses that you've had is not going to be shared with anyone. So you should feel confident that the information you're providing is protected.
2: Now, if you had an older... Uh, uh, Health Care Power of Attorney or something like that that was done before HIPAA was passed. You're saying in some cases those are being challenged today. It's really a good idea to update those. I always
3: think it's a great idea to update them. So you should review all your documents every five years at the very least, especially when there's any been any big change in your life, maybe a death um, of someone who's named in your documents, but also just to have the lawyer check and make sure the laws haven't changed significantly, warranting an update. We encourage in our office anyone who had documents done before 2003 when the HIPAA privacy rule became effective to give some serious consideration to um, updating their documents.
2: You were telling me a story before about uh, where the children couldn't get access to their health records. Tell me that story and how might that apply to other people in a similar situation.
3: Sure. We had an instance with um, someone I work with, very elderly parents, um, father in the hospital, mother not really having the capacity to act on his behalf, but she was the only one named in the documents. And the three adult children, all in their 50s and 60s, couldn't get any information from the doctors. And it was a great sense of frustration, partially because they needed to communicate with their father, who was the sick individual, to help him make the decisions. And if no one would talk to them, you know, it made it very difficult to, to act together to try and help their father out in that situation.
2: So in a case like that where the mother was named, couldn't the mother uh, assign it to them and write another document saying, I give permission to tell the kids about it?
3: Probably not, but also she had lost her capacity. I see. So, you know, even if that were a possibility, she wouldn't have been able to do it.
2: I see. But that's
3: why I also agree, and I think I mentioned this earlier, it's so important no matter what documents you have to always name a backup, Mm -hmm. you know, one or two, that can take over... Especially um, with a couple kind of situation, because something could happen to both of you and you're both incapacitated in a car accident, for example.
2: Yeah. Okay, now we want to talk about uh, drug discovery, distribution, and uh, delivery of drugs. Uh, What are some of the things people should look out for is having to deal with uh, drugs and diets?
3: Um, with, With regard to drugs, I think we've all been to the doctor and been given some free samples. And I think we encourage everyone to really talk to their doctors about this new sample. Is this new drug better than the one that you're currently taking? Maybe. Or is it just the same? So maybe you should stick with the generic equivalent that works for you. But we also want to encourage people to understand how drug discovery takes place. It's a lot of hard work by the pharmaceutical companies and a lot of testing, and they really rely on all of us to be participants in the testing by agreeing to participate in clinical trials. Now, whether a clinical trial is right for you really depends on your um, particular circumstances and your overall health and what your doctor thinks about the trial and whether or not it could benefit you. You know, you often hear of um, individuals going for the Hail Mary clinical trial, and that might be a Phase one clinical trial. And that's really the initial stages, and it's probably likely that this drug won't help you, but maybe it will. It might be, you know, wise to take that opportunity if nothing else is working for you. But we also have um, phase two, three, and four clinical trials. And again, depending on your disease and your willingness to participate, you may get some great benefit from it. And you think it's always wise to talk to your doctor to ask if there are any trials that might be beneficial. And these trials aren't just for um, cancer drugs, which is what you hear about a lot. But it's for everything from um, losing weight to um, you know sleep disorders to skin conditions. So, it's like her her if you children. participate
2: in one of these trials, there's a, a forms you have to sign um, saying you know it might not go well, and there's certain risks you have to take. Is, is that what you t- kind of take people through the different forms that they it's need to? Not
3: so much the forms, but, but what each um, clinical, tr- what each phase of different clinical trials has to offer, and the negatives as well as the positives.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then you talk about devices a little bit as well. What are some of the devices people should, should be knowing about?
3: Well, some, some are as obvious as the crutches you see, your office mate hobbling because they, you know, hurt themselves over the weekend, um, to um, pacemakers, to the artificial knees that everyone seems to be getting these days. That you know, just because you're going in for a knee or hip replacement, talk to your doctor about exactly what they're using. Find out if there are different options. There have been some advertisements recently on um, particular knee replacements that are designed just for women. You know, find out if that's available to you if you are looking for a knee replacement. You know, have that conversation. Don't necessarily take what they're offering you. Ask about it first.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
3: Um,
2: All right. So now we want to move on to the next area, which is uh, medical legal wants, understanding various kinds of interventions. Uh, Briefly, why don't you go through what are some of the interventions involved here and and what are some of the decisions people need to make about these things?
3: Well, again, as we mentioned earlier, I think it's really important to understand your particular disease type. Um, There are acute um, illnesses, which is a quick-onset disease that's usually resolved very quickly, a chronic illness, which will last for years and years and years, and then a terminal condition, which will usually result in death within six months. Um, So once you're aware of what your disease type is, you can talk about the many different interventions that are available to you. We kind of classify them as the A, B, C, D, E of interventions. Airway interventions, which are those which help you breathe um, and clear your airway. Actual breathing interventions, circulatory interventions, discomfort or pain interventions, and enteric interventions.
2: I'm not sure what enteric means. What does that mean?
3: Enteric is a way to um, help you receive hydration and nutrition. And that's usually, um, again, talking about the Terry Schiavo incident. You know, there's
4: um, short-term
3: interventions, enteric interventions, which are usually an IV. They're attached to your arm. And there's long-term enteric, which is usually TPN, or total enteral nutrition, which is when a PEG um, tube, which is a percutaneous endoscopic gastronomy tube, is... Um, directly entered into your GI tract, so the nutrition goes directly into your intestines as opposed to into a vein first.
1: Mm-hmm. That's usually
3: for longer-term um, uh, hydration and nutrition. The um, parenteral, mispronounced that, the TPN, or total parenteral nutrition, is usually for a shorter time period, maybe for less than two weeks. So if it's a shorter-term that you're going to need that nutrition, that's the way you want to go. If it's longer term, they're going to suggest accessing the GI tract directly.
2: So you're saying with all these interventions, again, this is something you can think about in advance if you want to do it or not, and you have this in a form that you've signed saying, this intervention I'd like, this one I wouldn't. Is that the way it works?
3: Exactly. You know, just as we mentioned before, you can be really specific in a living will and say, you know, I want a ventilator, but I don't want a tracheotomy. And if I have this kind of illness, I'd like this kind of treatment. We have plenty of people who say they really want no health care at all, for example, if they've lost their um, cognitive abilities. And, again, it just gives you the opportunity as you're diagnosed with diseases or as you think about that and and, um, work with elderly family members to see what they're going through to find out exactly what it is you might want in the future.
2: Is this something you as a lawyer could help? Because, I mean, people are not doctors and they're not going to know the ins and outs and, you know, these are really almost medical decisions to be made here as to whether you want one intervention or not. How do you make these decisions in advance?
3: Well, we usually encourage um, uh, individuals to talk with their doctors. And if they don't know, to really go through with them as they're signing their documents exactly what each of these um, interventions means. And also encourage them that in the future, let's say they are diagnosed. I used the example of ALS earlier. Um, We use that again talk to their physician, find out what they can expect as their disease progresses, and to really determine exactly what they will want for their particular situation.
2: Okay, very good. We're going to go to break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Wynne Whitman, uh, who is the author of Wants, Wish, and Wills, Wishes, and Wills, a Medical Legal Guide to Protecting Yourself and Your Family in Sickness and Health. Uh, She's also a lawyer in Morristown, New Jersey, and we'll be continuing this very interesting discussion when we get back.
0: The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business.
2: Voice America Business
1: it has been said that to live is to choose but to choose well. You must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go and why you want to get there on Reap What You Sow with host performance management specialist and executive coach Alana Daly. Achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan and it shall be success over and over again and wealth result when you reap regularly reap what you sow with alana daily broadcast each thursday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern on the voice america business channel reap what you sow learn the rules of the game then play better than anyone else both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers
0: keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Wynn Whitman, uh, who's the author of a new book called Wants, Wishes, and Wills. Oh, I'm
3: just going to have to jump in and say I'm having a little trouble hearing you.
2: Okay. Hopefully you can hear me a little better now. Uh, which is also uh, a medical and legal guide to protecting yourself and your family in sickness and in health. Uh, she is also a lawyer at the Morristown, New Jersey, firm of Skank, Price, Smith & King. Y- you're back with me, Lynn? I'm
3: back with you. Thank you.
2: Very good. Before we get into uh, wills and all this, I just want to talk about two recent uh, cases, the whole Terry Shibo case where she d- basically did not have these documents done, and it caused this huge battle between her parents and her husband and Congress got involved. What has been the effect of all that on uh, people uh, preparing these documents and have there been legal changes? What's been the the outcome of that whole disaster?
3: I've seen a huge increase in the number of people who will talk about it now and really want to come in and make it very clear as to what they want and to put it in writing. Um, If there's been one benefit to that tragic case, it has inspired people to take control and to put their wants and wishes on paper in a legally enforceable document.
0: And I guess
2: the other big case lately is the whole uh, Nicole Smith situation, right, where, again, you have these big battles and...
3: Oh, big battles and a disastrously written will, and... Uh,
2: so what, what has been the effect of, of that, all the publicity that got?
3: I, I think it maybe makes people realize that, you know, you need to keep on top of your documents. She had a will from years ago when her son was her only child and really the moment that she knew that she was expecting a new one she should have addressed her will and run out especially because her partner was a lawyer should have had that document changed to reflect the fact that she was uh, expecting a second child
2: and so then it was up to a judge to decide where she was buried and all these different things right
3: because it wasn't clear who she wanted to make her decisions you know I think that even though you know you might have perfectly enforceable documents people can always challenge them but, um you, you can't you can't keep your relatives or your loved ones from doing that, but if they realize that the documents you have are sound and well written and uh, executed properly, they're less likely, I think, to challenge the documents. Same sure. thing with Terry Chavo. If she had had written documents prepared by a lawyer signed with all the requisite formalities. I think it would have been less likely that her um, parents and siblings would have challenged the decisions made by her husband, presuming he was the one that she had selected to make those decisions.
2: Let's start with the will. Uh, What are some of the main things that people need to uh, make sure they get covered uh, in a will?
3: I think they should um, cover their tangible personal property, which is what I refer to as the loot or the stuff. I find that some of the biggest family fights are over the heirlooms, even if it's an old chipped mug or, you know, a selection of photos from when you were a kid. Um, Be clear about who you want to have what. You can attach, in some states, a memorandum that says, you know, I would like my diamond engagement ring to go to Johnny. Um, And and really let your family know that you're serious about avoiding any kind of fights. We also suggest that if you think your family might uh, be headed to the battlefield, you can also outline in your will exactly how they should give you up the personal property. Draw straws and take turns picking, for example. Um, You can also make sure that if you have some uh, items of value, maybe there's a local museum who would benefit from having those items, especially if you think your loved ones are going to fight over it or if you just have one of something, for example. Um,
2: Is this something, by the way, that should be talked about in advance uh, as far as physical property and uh, have the kids figure out in advance who's going to get one, or is that too messy?
3: I think that's often messy because then you have a lot of he said, she said you know, granny promised me this, you know, when granny really promised it to someone else. And if it's just an oral statement made in private, you really have no way to back that up. It's always better, I think, to write it down. Mm -hmm. And and make clear, I think, also who's to receive. What, by identifying the item with a lot of specificity, and also to be very clear, don't just say, John, if you have three Johns in the family. Pick which John it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you should address your personal property. Um, I'm sorry, your real estate, your real property, and say what you'd like to have done with that. Maybe it should be sold and the proceeds added to um, the rest of your estate, or maybe you'd like the real estate to go to a particular person. Identify that if it's appropriate. Um, if you have any specific items or uh, contributions you'd like to make, you know, some folks like to leave a small sum to each grandchild or perhaps um, a remembrance to their religious organization or maybe their alma mater, and you should write that out, again, with some clarity. And then decide what you'd like to have happen to everything else, which is referred to as the residue of your estate. And there are lots of ways to divide that up. It could all go to a spouse. Maybe it's held in trust for a spouse. Maybe it goes outright to your children if you're not married, or to nieces and nephews if you don't have any children. Or you can be creative and have a combination, some of it going to charity, some to family members, some to friends. It's also important to take a look at the value of your estate and to determine whether or not you should do some advanced tax planning and that right now would be if you have for federal purposes an estate in excess of $2 million and um, for each state it's a little bit different but sometimes it can be in excess of 675000 or depending on who is receiving your assets there could be some inheritance taxes.
2: And then that's going up to 3.9 million in 2009, is
3: that right? 3.5 million in 2009. and then there's no federal estate tax in 2010 and then we're back to a million in 2011. But I think most of us who practice in this field are pretty sure that's going to change. We just don't know what exactly they're going to do.
2: What is your guess as to? I mean you're having to plan documents now. What is your guess as to what might happen there?
3: Our guess is it's going to be somewhere between the range of three to five million a person.
2: And mm-hmm. made made permanent, not change, and not phase out then but
3: it's so. any testla ever permanent, you know one would hope so, but there <laughs> wouldn't be these crazy phasing in and phasing out
2: uh-huh mm-hmm. okay uh now uh, why should one not try to do a will with one of these kind of legal self help kits and and fill all this out and save yourself a lot of money
3: i I, I think solely for the reason that you probably don't have a real grasp of the tax laws and you could be creating a taxable situation when there doesn't need to be one. Um, Also, I find, generally speaking, that the biggest results and the biggest messes occur when people do do it themselves. They think they're saving their families some money, but what ends up is a document that's unenforceable, which requires, as one case I have right now, um, for us to go to court, which is now going to cost far more than ever would have cost for him to have... uh, the decedent to have seen a lawyer when he was drafting up his will.
2: Okay, and then you have uh, living wills. Tell us what a living will is and how it compares with a regular will.
3: Okay, um, a living will is only effective while you're alive. That addresses your wishes for your medical care at the end of life. Would you like to be hooked up to a ventilator or not? Receive artificial um, feeding and fluids or not? And when and what circumstances should your wishes at the end of life be given effect? A last will and testament doesn't take effect until after you've died.
2: And uh, why do you need both a living will and a a durable power of attorney?
3: Um, A living will addresses medical and a durable power of attorney addresses all of your financial and and kind of day-to-day responsibilities. It allows someone, and it takes effect the minute it's signed, someone that you identify, your agent, to do everything you would do, um, file your taxes, pay bills, make deposits, sell real property, um, sell tangible personal property. It allows you to resign from specific positions to create trust. Really everything you could do from a financial perspective. And I think a general durable power of attorney, especially for someone who is ill or for someone who is getting on in years, is critically important. Um, it can save your family the um, ex- extreme expense of having to go to court to have a guardian appointed for you. Um, which is both a very public um, hearing. Uh, Often people are quite private about these things, but also, as I mentioned, very expensive.
2: Okay, and then the other thing is a healthcare proxy. That's different than Right, and
3: that's what we mentioned earlier, and that is the document that allows someone to act on your behalf and to make your medical decisions for you if you're unable. Um, There is a lot of reason that people become incapacitated. It could be due to accident. It could be due to illness or anesthesia you could be having a strong reaction to certain drugs that you're receiving that cause you to lose your ability to make a sound decision. And this allows someone, whether it's for a longer period of time or a short duration period of time, to make your medical decisions for you if you're not able to do so.
2: So summing up the different documents you need are the healthcare proxy.
3: Right, which appoints the healthcare representative to act for you and to make your medical decisions for you.
2: Then you need the general durable power of attorney, which is really overseeing the financial uh, affairs.
3: Exactly. And then the living will, that outlines your wishes at the end of life, whether or not you choose to be kept alive if you're in one of um, several terminal conditions.
2: And then there's the will itself, which is your directive as to where you want the assets to go in various ways. Exactly. So those are the four documents you need, nothing more than that.
3: Well, it depends on the state in which you live. There are certain states where it's beneficial to have a trust um, and have all your assets in a trust as opposed to simply having a will, Um, California and Florida are good examples, Um, New York as well, whereas New Jersey for example and Pennsylvania are very probate friendly states, a will is sufficient. Um, So it's always good to speak with an expert in the state in which you reside to find out what's best for where you live.
2: Okay. Uh, And how often should you be updating these various documents?
3: I think every five years or whenever you've had a major life change event, the birth of a new child a, or a divorce or perhaps a remarriage, um, a death of someone named in the document, and always if you've had a significant increase in assets. As I like to say when you win the lottery, we are the first people you should call. And if you pay particular attention when you're checking out the news to see who the big lottery winner is, you can tell those who have talked to... Um, an estate attorney first because all of a sudden the entire family has purchased that ticket together and they've done some instant estate planning which is a very wise idea.
2: <laughs> okay, I can see that happening. Uh, and then you talk about medical legal wills, is that different than what we've been talking about so far?
3: No, that's exactly what we were talking about with regard to the um, health care proxy and the living will.
2: Uh-huh. okay. So again, you've seen a lot of people not having these documents at all and this causing a tremendous amount of grief and and Taxes as well. If things are not arranged correctly, then there can be some huge tax bills involved here as well, right?
3: Tremendous tax bills. We did a lot of um, talking with people and um, hearing their frustration about the death of an older relative where hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in extra taxes were paid because they did no planning. And we've saved families millions and millions and millions of dollars with some very careful but relatively simple planning and why lawyers can be expensive. I think that if you um, talk to them and you do have a taxable estate, and I bet a lot of your listeners have much bigger estates than they realize, um, there's a lot that can be done to really save the family a fair amount of money.
2: Yeah, terrific. Okay, we're going to go to break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and uh, my guest this hour is Wynne Whitman, uh, who's the co-author of Wants, Wishes, and Wills, a Medical and Legal Guide to Protecting Yourself and Your Family in Sickness and Health. And she does have a website, by the way, which is She uh, She's also a lawyer in Morristown, New Jersey. And we'll be back after this.
0: The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business.
1: Know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Winner's Attitude Switch Me On.
0: The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Wynne Whitman, who's a lawyer and author, a co-author of Wants, Wishes, and Wills, A Medical and Legal Guide to Protecting Yourself and Your Family in Sickness and Health. Welcome back to the show, Wynne. Thank you. Let's talk about uh, visiting a lawyer uh, when you're going to do these documents. What are some of the things you should bring uh, to be prepared to make sure this goes as smoothly as possible?
3: The more information you bring, the quicker the meeting and the smaller the uh, bill you're going to receive. So we suggest that you bring some um, specific details, the name, full legal name, and address of all of your beneficiaries and the individuals you'd like to name as executors, trustees, and guardians, and we can talk more about that in a minute. Um, a complete list of your assets, so the attorney knows whether or not you have a taxable estate and what kind of tax planning might be appropriate. Um, details about any life insurance policies that you have, how your accounts are titled when you have your list of assets. It's also important to bring up any concerns that you might have. For example, um you have a child that you're concerned about blowing their inheritance? Or maybe you have a um, child out of wedlock. We've seen that before. Really share with your attorney everything. The more they know, the more they're going to be able to help you.
4: Um,
3: Provide a list of any specific requests or devices you'd like to make. That's as we discussed earlier, you know, the small amount to a grandchild or perhaps a um, gift to your alma mater. Um, Let them know any other information that you think is important, for example, maybe you're the beneficiary of a trust. It would be important for your attorney to know that. Um, and again, correct spellings, correct addresses, everything that, that um, would keep them from having to call you back later to ask more information.
2: And then what you have a list of assets as well and how those should be divided. You should think in advance of who you yeah. want to get which assets?
3: Yeah, exactly. Very good point. You know, are you just interested in caring for your spouse at this time? Or maybe you have a disabled grandchild you'd like to um, give a little more money to in a um, special type of trust? Again, you know, really come in with your head kind of clear as to what you'd like to have happen. It's also important that you let your um, attorney know if any of your beneficiaries are not U.S. citizens. That's a very helpful thing to especially your spouse.
2: So what happens if they are a non-U.S. citizen? They cannot inherit things? Or what no, the no, they can inherit, have?
3: but for your um, spouse, for example, there's an unlimited marital deduction. Everything that you leave to your spouse is not going to be taxed on the first death unless your spouse is not a U.S. citizen. So it's important to identify that up front because there are certain trusts that you can have that, um, you know, defer the tax until the second death, which is always the prime objective.
1: I see.
2: Let's talk about some of the people you want to be naming in your will. Uh, let's start with the executor. Uh, how do you pick an executor, and, and you know, how does one go about f- finding a good one?
3: Well, first, an executor is a short duration job. It's a couple of years, and that person's charged with administering your estate and then distributing the assets as you've directed in your will. Um, I always suggest that you pick the person that you think is going to make the best and most sound decisions. It doesn't have to be a rocket scientist or a Wall Street uh, guru which is someone who knows enough to ask for help and might have some knowledge of your affairs so that it's going to be easier for them to piece together your um, finances in order to uh, complete the appropriate tax returns, etc. And because that is a short-duration job, I don't think the age of the executor matters particularly, but I always think you should have a few backups because, as uh, we spoke about earlier, unfortunately, people do pass away. Um, I don't think you have to name a bank or a trust company, but if you believe that your heirs and your beneficiaries are going to fight like cats and dogs, maybe identifying a neutral third party to serve as executor might be a wise idea.
2: And then how about guardians for your kids? How should you choose them?
3: That's a, such a tough one. I think you need to name the individual or individuals who are going to raise your children the way that you would have. It doesn't have to be the family that can afford a few extra mouths at the dining room table. It's just important to pick those who have the same values that you have. You know, when you pass away, there will likely be some funds on your passing, so you shouldn't worry about the monetary aspects of it. But think about geography, too. If you want them to live in the same area where you currently live, that might help you in making your decision. When you have older parents, they're not necessarily the best choice just because it's not necessarily so great for an 80-year-old to be raising a 5-year-old.
2: And then how about uh, trustees? What are the role of trustees?
3: The trustee is a longer-duration job, and they're going to be overseeing trust funds that you may have set aside for a spouse or a child or a grandchild, and that's for the length of time of the trust. So let's say you have a five-year-old, um, and the trust goes to that child is 35. That's a 30-year job. So I would suggest picking someone who's maybe a little bit on the younger side, again, not you know relying on the 80-year-old parent, to take that job, but also someone, again, who's smart enough to ask for help and has some who, who believe who you believe will make sound judgments about those trust assets but also might have a relationship with the beneficiaries and is going to know what he or she needs as they're growing up.
2: But, again, it's a good idea to have successor trustees in case the trustees either can't do it or die. Or
3: Absolutely. You should always have a backup for your executor, your guardian, and your trustee's.
2: And the other thing you want to talk about was a joint tenancy and, and the various kinds of tenants and tenants in common. Maybe just briefly talk about uh, the different choices there.
3: Sure. We talked about the fact that the will dispose of, of your assets, but it doesn't dispose of anything that has a beneficiary designation, which is life insurance or individual retirement accounts or 401Ks. The um, proceeds of those accounts or life insurance is going to go where you direct by the beneficiary designation. Even if you have a great will, it's not going to matter because that beneficiary designation rules. There are also joint tenancy accounts, and with a joint tenancy with right of survivorship account, when the first tenant dies, the assets are going to pass to the surviving tenant, again, no matter what your will says. Now, there's such a thing as a tenants in common account, and that's different. There's no right of survivorship, so the half of the deceased will pass according to their will or trust.
2: I just want to talk briefly about giving money away. Uh, what are some of the tips you have on uh, giving money either to relatives or uh, schools or charities? Uh, what are some tips there?
3: And then think about just what it is that you want and wish for and all the good things you hope to do with your assets. You know, family is important. We also want to pay for the education of our younger relatives. We have friends who might have particular needs who have been great friends for years and years. But there are also a lot of terrific charities who do a lot of good work who will benefit from your donation no matter how small or how large. There are also some terrific tax benefits as uh, Mr. Buffett uh, displayed when he's making large contributions to the Gates Foundation, saving an inordinate amount of uh, tax dollars, but also providing a lot of good to a lot of people. So again, just think about what it is that you really hope to accomplish and talk to your counselor, and they'll help you find the best way to implement your desires.
2: You talk at the end of the book, and again, this is Wynne Whitman, there's the author of uh, Wants, Wishes, and Wills, about uh, holographic wills. Is that a, a good idea, and what actually is that?
3: A holographic will is really never a good idea. That's a will that's written all in your own handwriting. It's the, you know, this is what I'd like to leave written on a cocktail napkin. Again, you know, the same concern I have with using a stationary shop will or a will that you do with a will kit is it doesn't have, The expertise of a lawyer who practices in this area every day, who can make sure that the will is uh, correct and really uh, achieves what your wants and wishes are.
2: And do you think a video will is a good idea?
3: You know, I haven't seen too many of those. It seems to me that they, again, aren't going to hold up to the legal formalities. But I think if you have some specific um, sentiments you'd like to share with your loved ones, and feel that that's the best way to do it, with the spoken word as opposed to a letter. Or um, note of uh, not instruction, but kind of notes expressing your feelings. And I think a video is a great idea, but you should still have a formally executed will and/or trust.
2: Very good. Well, thank you so much, Wynn. It's been fascinating. Uh, again, Wynn Whitman's book is Wants, Wishes, and Wills, and there's a website by that name. Uh, these are good things you should be taken care of before it's too late. I appreciate Win being with me very much. And Thank you, audience. Take what she said to heart because you really want to take care of these things. We'll see you next week.